Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for this TMC Connect session with CCIG. We have Taylor Rogers and Rich Haney with us here today to tell us everything that you guys need to know for employee benefits renewals. All right, Sarah, you want us to go ahead and get started? Yeah. Perfect. So guys, oh. we're So yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah, if good. you have any questions throughout this webinar, please drop them in the chat. Um, specific questions, broad questions, anything you can think of, Taylor and Rich are really knowledgeable. So definitely take advantage of that while they're on here with us today. Yeah, perfect. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through a few trends, things that we're seeing at large that you probably should be aware of. Uh, they're they're going to have pretty big impacts on anybody who manages a health plan. And then we're going to go through kind of five, what we would consider best practices or things to look out for. And then we're going to reserve a pretty good chunk there at the end for for questions that you have. We want to be able to kind of tackle any individual questions that, that come up. So um, as, uh, as Sarah mentioned, Taylor Rogers and Rich Haney with CCIG, we have been with TMC for a little over two years now and uh, helped build the, the healthcare program for the organization. So hopefully we got some good nuggets in here for you. My screen will advance. So uh, that's the introduction. We're going to go through the trends first, five quick tips, and then fire away with any questions you've got. So some of these things I'm sure are not news to you. If you've uh, picked up the newspaper recently, obviously we've been in a high inflationary environment. You know that all too well in the mortgage industry. Um, interest rates are going up. It's increasing the cost for every vendor in every ecosystem of every industry in America. And healthcare is no different. So we're seeing trend, uh, which is kind of the annual expected increase in healthcare costs above what it has been the last several years. There are a lot of things contributing to that. It's not just inflation, um, but it's also uh, new, the emergence of new uh, prescription drug therapies, uh, specialty drugs that you turn on a commercial right now or you turn on a TV program, you're going to see three high cost drug commercials at almost every intermission. Um, one of those, that. Taylor, one of those is uh, there were, I think, two or three drugs last year that were approved by the FDA and uh, they're, cure, uh, they're curative drugs, right? So they're, they're curing really high uh, complex conditions, high cost conditions, but there comes with a price tag between two to three and a half million dollars uh, to bring that cure. So that's definitely leading to some of that rising Rx cost. Yeah. And, and traditionally, there have been about a half a dozen what are called gene therapies that Rich is referring to that could hit your plan. And the number of people impacted by those conditions is fairly small. Um, but there are 19 gene therapies in the uh, FDA pipeline, at least 19, I think that I'm aware of, in the uh, FDA pipeline for uh, for approval. So once those get FDA approval, they're going to obviously be, there's an expectation that those will be covered on health plans. And so the number of million plus dollar claimants uh, is going to go up dramatically in the coming years as this this continues to progress. Um, if you haven't heard of the Consolidated Appropriations Act yet, you should probably get up to speed on that. There are a whole slew of new compliance hurdles uh, for employers offering health plans that there is no escaping. You have to check these boxes. Uh, we're not going to go through what all of those are today. We will touch on a few highlights um, but that is a much longer and more in-depth conversation to have with either your current agent uh, or feel free to reach out to us. 
Uh, industry consolidation, if you didn't hear, Humana has exited the group health space uh, of the major carriers, the traditional marketplace, uh, what used to be Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna, and Humana is now Blue, United, Cigna, and Aetna, or as we've rearranged the letters, Cuba. Um, and uh, finally, we have medical staffing shortages. This is kind of a hangover, a carryover from COVID. The stress on the healthcare system drove a lot of people out of clinical settings and into more administrative, some even into early retirement, just because they were tired of dealing uh, with the uh, the hazardous workplace that, that comes with hospitals and health clinics. So obviously staffing shortages in any industry are going to lead to higher costs. And all of this is converging to basically lead to some really, really, really ugly action in the healthcare and health insurance space. And we're seeing even on the medical staffing shortages, <laughs> it's not so much even people, um, it, it's a big problem, people leaving that that sector. Uh, but also as contracts come up from a union perspective, we are seeing a lot of health systems kind of deal with uh, uh, nurses, uh, especially either walking out and or um, uh, going on strike. Yeah, we have a, a client of ours that is a large national nurse staffing company. They bring in nurses from overseas and there basically is enough demand as they can. Uh, there's more demand than they could ever have supply of this uh, this channel of uh, foreign nurses coming over to the United States. So we can't get them through uh, the visa process and the immigration process fast enough, basically, to keep staffing levels up. So um, so what does all that mean? Obviously, that's a lot of things converging to create problems for employers. So we want to give you five tips. Uh, if you're not doing these things, man, this would be a good time to start implementing as much of this as possible. Um, so we're going to walk through just a high level. What is risk? This is a very simple issue and challenge at its core. And we want to make it simple. Um, two is define objectives. You can optimize for anything in your benefits program. And we're going to walk you through what some of those items are. Uh, you as the employer drive the ship on what you're optimizing for. We want to help you answer that question. Um, ensuring data access, compliance with the Consolidated Appropriations Act, and transparency. These are now requirements. So uh, we're going to walk through that. Improving employee engagement. At the end of the day, well, you'll see this in the risk component, it's unit cost and number of units. And the smarter your employees are when it comes to navigating the benefit plan and the healthcare system, the better your unit cost and the better your number of units is gonna be. Um, and then finally, just owning your underwriting. If you're relying on the market to basically tell you what the rates should be, you're already behind the eight ball. You should know what those rates should be before you enter the market via third-party independent underwriting. All right. So we want to make this as simple as possible. For an employer, your risk is nothing more than the total healthcare consumption of your population. Healthcare drives. This bottom, this is a huge brick of the pyramid for a reason. Your claims are the derivative of your insurance costs. You know, just like your, your home determines what your monthly payment is, you know, on your mortgage. Uh, your your financing mechanism is nothing more than a reflection of the underlying asset or liability. And so in this case, if if you're not doing anything about your claims, uh, then you probably shouldn't expect to see much improvement in your insurance. And then administration, guys, you're going to pay administration in any healthcare plan. That is a fixed cost. You can find some efficiencies there, but it's a small part of the pyramid uh, that, that needs to reflect you know, the choices there need to reflect the amount of juice that's in that uh, in that bucket to squeeze out. We just kind of went over this, uh, but this very basic formula here down to the right, claim cost, 
unit cost times number of units. Don't overcomplicate it. All right. Uh, in order to uh, do that, question one is, what are we doing to control the number of units? This is traditionally called population health. How do we get our people and keep our people healthy? How do we drive early detection? How do we drive, uh, you know, just, just all sorts of manner of well-being so that small claims don't become large claims? Um, million strategies here. This isn't really the time for me to dive deep and make you fall asleep, but we can handle some of that in the Q&A. Second part of that question is, what are we doing to control unit costs? And this is through program design. And guys, this is actually much lower hanging fruit than population health. Uh, you can change what you pay for a service overnight. You, it takes a while to change the health and behavior of a population. But if you're not doing both of these things, eventually uh, you will be behind. Rich, anything to add to that? I would just say on the population health side, you want a lot more. Uh, you want that frequency to be higher. You want people to get their preventive exams. You want people to have their age appropriate screenings. Um, or if there's a family history of, of cancer, you want them to have that. So to Taylor's point, you don't have the large claim um, happen. It doesn't become uh, as serious uh, uh, sooner. And when you do have those large claims happen, that's the that's where the unit cost becomes out of control in a lot of the traditional settings. And so that's, you know, if you you want one aspect of it, you want a lot of uh, units going into the population health side, people spending time on the preventive care. Yeah, it's re, re, redirecting where that utilization takes place. And so to give you one routine example, a stroke. Strokes are often caused by either a blood clot or high blood pressure or a combination of the two of those things, often very avoidable uh, through the use of really inexpensive generic drugs that have been around for a long, long time. If somebody is not going to their primary care, getting engaged uh, to figure out that they have those underlying conditions and taking a drug that costs $3 a month, uh, you know, they might end up as a $100,000 claimant with an inpatient hospitalization because they had a stroke out of nowhere that they didn't know was was bubbling under the surface. And, and one way you can do that, and just real quick, and in a way to incentivize people to get that, uh, get that care is very low office visit co-pays for your primary care doctors, five, 10, 15, $20. So there's no barrier for them to go see the doctor. And then if you have the ability in your through your plan design to make generic drugs uh, a, a low dollar copay as well, um, that usually leads to higher adherence to those medications. Good point. So two, um, I'm going to try and make this very simple, you know, component, but what are we optimizing for? That's, that's ultimately going to be the question here. But if you come to us and you say, we have to optimize for cost, we have to, right? We're at this point where the mortgage industry, our volumes are down, uh, you know, significantly from last year. We've already reduced some headcount. We've already done all these things, but we have to save money. That plan is going to look very different than it might have two years ago when you were saying, guys, there's more loan volume than we can shake a stick at. We have to get quality LOs to come in here and close this business. We we are worried about value. We have to have the best offering on the planet you know, so that we can win and win the talent war. Those are very different marching orders and those programs look very, very different. Um, and so then obviously you can optimize for value, the, the intersection between those two points where we're getting just the most bang for our buck and then finally, you can optimize for flexibility. You could say, hey, you know, we've had a lot of M&A conversations recently. We don't know what the future holds. We want a program that we can terminate at month's end and send that, you know, off, off packing. We want to be lightweight as a company. Well, guys, all of those programs, these dots down here at the bottom on the spectrum, they're different. There's a lid for every pot. 
each one of these programs has pros and cons and, and different ways that they can be structured. And so when you're talking to your advisor, your consultant, and they're saying, well, we were fully insured, but we got our better rates from the level funded market. What does that mean? Like, what, what are we optimizing for if we make that transition? Because there is no free lunch. You're not just going to get cheaper rates for the exact same thing with no trade-offs. So you have to understand what, what you're driving when you find some other home on this spectrum. And so um, I will tell you, there. this is a vast world. I'm not going to go through all these bullet points, but we can revisit this if there's any specific questions down the road. So now question number two, what are we optimizing for? And does that align with where we're going as a company? CAA implications. So, um, man, this was a law passed back in, uh, went into effect 2021, and it's got staggered requirements that are coming out. Some of these you may have heard of, broker compensation disclosure. You have to know as a fiduciary how much your advisor is getting paid. It has to be broken out for you, has to be transparent. There's now a gag clause attestation where your administrator, your claims administrator, uh, cannot prohibit you from owning you know, your data and knowing where your claims dollars are going. Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equality Act, your, med- your mental health and addiction benefits have to be equivalent to uh, many of the benefits on the major medical side, You know, the, uh, the inpatient and outpatient benefits. Data ownership, uh, if you haven't heard, if you didn't hear last year, last year was the first year that you were required to make an RxDC filing. There's a couple documents that go there. What is that? What does it do? How does it work? Uh, all good questions to make sure that you're you're understanding. And then finally, consumer price tra- pricing transparency is another big piece of this. Theoretically, you are required, your health plan is required to give your employees the tools to shop for care. And we've got an example further in the presentation that will show you on why that matters and what's important. But at the end of the day, these are the questions. Are we in control and are we in compliance? Do we own our data? Do we know where our dollars are going? If the answer to either of these is no, that's a really big red flag because, uh, shoot, what's it been now? 12, 13 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, 401k fiduciary liability became a really big issue. And there were class action lawsuits against employers for not stewarding those retirement funds appropriately, paying exorbitant fees, um, not not having the right mix of investment portfolios, things of that nature. The CAA sets the groundwork for those same lawsuits to happen in healthcare. So I'm just telling you, we don't know the risk. We don't know the timeline for when this is going to bubble up, but it's going to start with the large employers and then it's going to trickle down to the smaller end of the market segment. So just make sure you have yes on both of these questions and you're, you're buttoned up there. Employee engagement. So we mentioned the consumer price transparency. This was just a fascinating slide to us. Um, from And this is from Healthcare Blue Book. So showing the low and the high end prices for the exact same procedures in the market of Houston, Texas. As you'll see down here for this basket of goods, there's a variance of 750%. That's really hard to set to justify as a fiduciary when you're required to purchase and steward your employees' funds well and say, we're paying $9,000 for a cataract surgery that could be done for $1,800. If you're taking payroll contributions for an employee and then you're spending on the highest price options in the market, you can see that liability uh, you know, from an employer, from a fiduciary standpoint. So make sure that your employees have the tools and the education to make these smart decisions and keep you ultimately out of harm's way. Rich, anything? This come, yeah, th- this comes back to the unit cost conversation. 
right? When in healthcare is one of the black boxes that we don't know the price when we go get a service done. They generally do not tell us. We may have to pay a little bit up front, um, but we usually get a bill in the mail three, four, five, six weeks later. And so the tools are important so people be, can become uh, better educated consumers on the healthcare front. Because if I'm on a plan that has a $3,000 deductible and I need to have uh, the number four line item there at chest CT, uh, I would rather pay the $211 versus the $2,600 for that same procedure because that's those are dollars that are going to come out of my bank account in this high inflationary environment where everything just costs more. Um, it's, you know, I would want to steward my funds well. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to be in this industry that we know where to find this information. Um, but for you all as uh, plan sponsors, uh, there are tools available um, that are worth the few extra dollars to empower your people to make smarter decisions. And then also just teaching them along the way to ask the price up front. Providers have to disclose that information if you ask them, but not everybody asks that question. Yeah. But when you equate it, just go back real quick. Yeah. Um, when you equate it to a gallon of gas at the at the bottom there, it's like the low price getting gas for two dollars and fifty cents, but across the street you can pay almost nineteen uh, nineteen dollars a gallon. I mean, what what choice would we make? And, and that would absolutely be a reality if they didn't have to post their, or they didn't post their gas prices until after you paid for it. If you yeah. found out where you paid for gas a month later, yeah, you'd probably pay fifteen bucks a gallon on occasion by just <clears throat> pure happenstance. So. Transparency and having those tools is huge. Uh, so the question here, again, a two-parter, do they understand how to use the health plan? First of all, do they know what co-pays, deductibles, co-insurance, et cetera, are? We as an industry have made it about as clear as mud. So the answer for a lot of people is no. Uh, and then two, do they understand how to navigate the healthcare system? Do they know how to find the lowest cost entry point in the system to get their needs met? So that just takes place. Again, it's education. Um, another piece here to the employee engagement is uh, we. this is actually a sample from one of our own clients. We're big on surveys. Uh, just another plug there for employee engagement. We think that it's extremely important to get a constant feedback from your employees on where the gaps are and where they perceive the gaps. So how would you rate your understanding of health insurance as a whole? You'll look the vast majority uh, you know, of this come at, I get it sort of at a high level or, man, I wouldn't say I understand it, but you know, I, I haven't died yet basically. So, uh, you know, I feel like I get it enough. One of the things that I would add on to the survey comment is uh, a lot of sur surveys can be uh, a few things. Number one, they can be stuffy, right? They can just ask like very, um, there's, there's nothing fun or exciting about it. Uh, if you're thinking about it, surveying your people or you have in the past and, and maybe you're getting low participation rates, uh, maybe just reevaluating the way you're asking the question, make, make it kind of fun uh, and exciting for them. Um, and then that gives you talking points throughout the year, building a communication game plan. Uh, we, we help our clients. We use a lot of this information and then we kind of build a roadmap of, all right, how, this is, you know, month, this month, we're going to talk about this, this next month, we're going to talk about, um, that, uh, the other piece is, is making, you know, making it feel like it's independent. Like people are going to be, uh, empowered to actually answer these, honestly, these questions. And so through a third party, uh, usually through your consultant, uh, we do it for our clients. It comes branded as, is is our side. So it's not going out as the employer. Um, so they feel like they can answer the questions honestly. 
Good point. So the final piece here, and this will be very quick, is just how do we know this is a fair deal? Uh, this goes back to independent underwriting. Rich and I have both worked for medical carriers. Uh, you know, it's we tell you the story that we want you to hear. We give you the data that will justify what we need to accomplish for our corporate goals. Uh, it stinks, but it's also, you know, it's your responsibility working for uh, your company to basically sell an increase where you can. And uh, the number one way that, that that's done a lot of times is restricting the data that you have access to, giving you claims that are maybe four or five months old because that's our company policy. And then we underwrite it inside of a black box. If you aren't taking all of that data, owning all of that data, making sure you have access to all of that data and running it through your own underwriting, how do you know what your rates should be? Right? How do you have any baseline for what it should be outside of this is what the carrier told us? So we're taking them at their word. Uh, those companies are doing pretty well on Wall Street even still. And so I would say that they're going to win that game 10 times out of 10 if uh, if you don't hold them accountable. So, guys, that th hopefully those five questions are helpful. Um, I know this was kind of fast and furious, but um, we've got a few questions coming in the chat. We'll kind of spend the rest of the time addressing anything that you've got there. Sarah, do you want to kind of moderate that or do you want me to run through it? Yeah. Um, first question, uh, what is and what are the main benefits of the TMC Healthcare Cooperative? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to go back a little bit to this um, right here. So the TMC Healthcare Cooperative is really meant to optimize for value. It is meant to maximize the quality of benefits that you can offer your people and make sure that it is as efficient uh, and fundamentally sound in purchasing as it possibly can be. It falls right here into this bucket. So um, in terms of transfer of risk, the way that it works is the company transfers the risk of all quote unquote large claims. You determine what a large claim is, but say it's $50,000. Everything under 50,000, you basically say as a company, you know what, we're going to retain the, the payment responsibility for all small claims and make sure that we're buying those as efficiently as possible. Once you've transferred that risk to somebody else, they call the shots. So you want to be able to control that supply chain as much as you possibly can. Um, it has a best in class drug contract, um, you know, prescription drug contract. Uh, so we're helping save money, a ton of money through the prescription side of the program. And then we have a lot of levers we can pull with network access and things of that nature. So it is a partially self-funded. Um, you're transferring the risk for large claims only. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have full autonomy to build that program to, to cover whatever you would like for it to. And we've kind of combined some purchasing power with multiple groups to negotiate better contracts on the administrative side. Rich, anything to add to that? Yeah, I would just say, just think about it as um, putting insurance back in kind of its own little bucket. So when you purchase car insurance, when you go fill up for gas, when you have to change your tires, when you change your oil, you're not filing a claim for that. So you that's just assumed risk, if you will, um, by owning a vehicle. Uh, but if you, um, God, forbid getting, uh, God forbid, get into an accident, you have insurance for that. And so that's the way we kind of approach the TMC healthcare program is you're maybe seemingly taking on more risk, but you're really not in the grand scheme of things uh, just because uh, there's no free lunch in healthcare. So when you're going through, if you're fully insured today and you're going through a renewal and you're being presented with a 15% increase, but it's because you have a lot of large claims or high claims, um, 
you're you're paying for those even though you're just paying a fully insured premium the carrier is not going to subsidize you with everybody else right they're going to what you consume today in healthcare you will pay for tomorrow or what you consume this year you will pay for next year in a fully insured program yeah and and one thing to add to that is insurance in any other market take healthcare and put it to the side for a second insurance is for things you don't expect to happen or have a likelihood of happening but you don't you know there's no guarantee of it happening healthcare is the only place where we for some reason have decided that all routine and predictable uh you know utilization is treated as insurance and so in our program, basically, you are insuring that risk with th- that you don't know about yet, the things that could happen, but are you know not necessarily a guarantee. And we just say that it's always, and when you pay for utilization with insurance money, about 70 to 80 cents of every dollar is actually going to pay for claims because it's obviously you're, you're paying for it with insurance. So we say pay those dollar for dollar. Pay all the small stuff dollar for dollar. Get every dollar you can out of those reimbursements. Don't pay for it through the insurance company that has to take 20 cents for administration and profit and all that sort of thing. So just kind of an efficiency play there. If anyone else has any other questions, please feel free to drop them in the chat. Uh, Another question would be, um, if a lender is considering self-funded or partially self-funded insurance, what would be the first steps? they should take there and how involved would their HR department need to be? That's a great question. So um, one thing that you can do, that's interesting. We've got this here. Um, you can certainly send an email to us. Uh, to my, my email's up here on the screen or scan this QR and kind of fill out a form, whichever's easier and most efficient for you. Um, but it's, it's a great question. Our thing is the TMC program is not a fit for everybody. For sure. It, it is for companies who are in a position to think in five-year chunks and who are looking for optimization. Um, It is a little bit of a sacrifice in flexibility, meaning it's not a contract that you're going to terminate at the end of August because you plan to, you know, change directions in September. It is, hey, we we think we're going to be operational for a period of time and we want to do this as well as we possibly can. That's what the TMC program is built for. Now, there are a million other strategies, uh, you know, that you can lean on to, to optimize for whatever direction you're going. I will say in that program, uh, an HR department and a finance department do have a more consistent role with the program in that there are more frequent touch points, but you are not doing the dance every September, October, where you're waiting for this big moment where you have to uproot your program, change carriers, introduce a new network, introduce a whole new program, and basically start from scratch with your employees. So that big lift that happens every couple of years with most companies gets put on the back burner and you stop doing that. Um, If you have small components you want to change year to year, you do that pretty seamlessly. Yeah, you're trading one really big decision for just multiple touch points throughout the year and a strategy conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It is truly, and this is where when you go into a self-funded environment, you, you know, what are the first steps that you want to be considering is, hey, are, you know, what are we operationally sound? Um, are we okay in a in a cash flow uh, environment today? Do we think we're going to reduce headcount or are we going to grow headcount massively over the next 12 months, 18 months? Uh, those are all considerations. Um, but then, hey, are do we have an employee base that will um that will sit down, listen, work with us, give us feedback on how to uh, 
make iterations to this because healthcare is not perfect by any means. You're never going to hit a home run on the first swing. Uh, it's going to evolve constantly. Uh, but self-funded employers, there's a reason why uh, companies who are operationally sound and or um, sitting in a uh, decent cash position, they all go self-funded as you move up market because they win nine out of 10 times. Um, that's a, one, one thing to add to that. That's why we built the mortgage program, the TMC program, the way that we did is it enables smaller employers, meaning companies with about 60 to about 500 employees it offers them the same ability that the large companies that Rich just mentioned enjoy. And so the, the stop loss reinsurance is kind of a creative mechanism that pulls a bunch of smaller employers together just for that insurance layer so that it provides stability. And it basically allows you to think like a you know Fortune 500 or even just a, a publicly traded thousand life company would, would do. So um, a lot of advantages there in the way that we constructed that program. Awesome. Thank you, guys. If anybody thinks of any questions after this presentation, please feel free to reach out to myself or Richard Taylor. We'll be sending out a recording um, of this presentation. You can view it on YouTube as well as in a podcast. And we'll be following up after the call if anyone has any interest or questions. Thank you, Sarah. We appreciate Thank you it. all. Thank you guys so much. Everyone have a great day. Thank you. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.